And good morning. Great to see you guys here. Glad to, glad to be worshiping with you guys today. It's been an awesome day in God's house already. Yeah. We're going through a series called Let's Be Clear, and it's a study of the book of 1 John in your New Testament, and we're trying to clear up some confusion. And, and if all the topics we're going to hit, maybe the most confusing topic is the one we'll do today on the Holy Spirit. There's a lot of, a lot of confusion about the Holy Spirit and his role in our lives. Uh, that's true. Uh, it was true in John's day when God inspired him to write this, this passage and this letter, and it's true today. Uh, that, I don't know if you've noticed, but people are enamored with the, with the supernatural, with the unexplained, with the, with the phenomenon. And, and if, we're, uh, if we're being honest, oftentimes we can fall for those things, even if, if we don't understand them. Uh, a lot of secular voices in our culture today that would, through media, movies, uh, video clips, video games, you name it, depicting spiritual things, supernatural things, and, and in doing so, claiming to be experts on the, on the subject. And can I tell you, they're definitively not <laughs> experts on the subject. And um, the, tr- the same is true in the church. When it comes to the Holy Spirit, oftentimes we get confusing messages about the Holy Spirit and his work in our lives. It reminds me of a story I heard a while back, and it's about a, a guy who's driving on the interstate, and he sees a billboard, and it says, tough guys eat free steak. And he thinks, well, I'm tough. So he pulls over, gets out, goes into the restaurant, says, I need to speak with the manager. I'm ready for that free steak. And so she comes, and he says, listen, uh, I'm a tough guy. I'm ready for my free steak. Well, she says, well, you got to prove that you're tough. And he says, well, I was in a car accident, and I survived a car accident. She said, well, I'm really sorry that you had a car accident, and that you're, I'm glad you're okay, but that window, my arm out the window, and, and it rolled over, and I lost my arm. It chopped my arm off. She's like, whoa, that's... That's crazy. That's terrible. I'm glad you're okay. But, you know, even though you lost a limb, I mean, other people lose limbs, and that doesn't make you, make you tough. He said, no, 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 you don't understand. After the accident, I grabbed my own arm, and I sewed my own arm back on my, my, myself. She's like, wow, you are tough. Let me go get you that free steak. And he said, all right. All right. I'm so glad I don't have to explain that. Guys, this is how it feels sometimes when it comes in the church even on the topic of the Holy Spirit and his role in our life. There's some confusion on that. So we want to try to clear up some confusion. And my goal today at the end of the day is that you and I would know the role of the Holy Spirit in our lives and how to tap into that incredible power that God has for us, that we can live and do his will. In our lives. And so we're going to jump in. 1 John, starting in chapter 2, verse 20, says this But you have an anointing from the Holy Spirit, and all of you know the truth. I do not write to you because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it, and because no lie comes from the truth. Now, John writes and says, Hey, you that are receiving this letter, this group of churches that I'm writing to, you have received an anointing from God. Now, anointing is one of those scary church words, right? Like we use it, we say it, we hear it, but we're not sure exactly what we're talking about. So what exactly does God mean and who is he talking about when he says you have an anointing from God? If you stay up late at night and are on the right channel, you can see commercials for anointing oil or anointed handkerchiefs. And if you want to spend $49.95, you too can have one of those anointed items. Is that what we're talking about? 
or if we hear a, a powerful prayer or this moving song or this dynamic speaker, and we think, man, that person is anointed. Is that what it means? We want to be really clear about this. It's related to the Holy Spirit. And so my, my principle I want to make sure you understand is Bible always best interprets Bible. If we have a question about something in the scriptures, we don't need to go Googling. We need to go digging in the Word of God to understand what the Bible is saying because it clarifies what it's saying. So I'm going to go to uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 1. And Paul is inspired in verse 21 and 22 to write this about, about the same subject. He says, now it is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. He anointed us, set his seal of ownership on us, and put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. Now Paul's saying, I'm anointed, I'm sealed of God, I have his spirit in me, and he says that not only of himself, which we could all say, yeah, of course Paul was anointed, but he's saying it's also true of you. He says, we are anointed. We are sealed in the ownership of God. We have the Spirit of God on us. He's saying that of the people, the recipients of his letter in Corinth. And if you've ever read First and Second Corinthians, you know this isn't the greatest church. This isn't the greatest group of people. And I'm being nice. I have to meet these people in heaven one day, okay? Like, <laughs> I don't want there to be a problem. But they probably had a lot of guests come to their church and go, I don't think we're going back there. They had some real issues going on in the church in Corinth. They had morality issues. They had leadership problems. They had people being envious and jealous of one another. They had selfish things being done within the church. Yet what does God's word say is true about the people and the believers in Corinth? That they are anointed. They're anointed. That's interesting. The reason God can say that they're anointed with the Spirit of God is because God's presence in your life isn't based on your worthiness or faithfulness, based on your worthiness or faithfulness, but it's based upon the promise of God. In Ephesians 1.13, it says, having believed, that moment where you believe, where we celebrated Jason's moment where he believed, that moment you believed that the spirit of the living God came rushing in and took residence in your life and he took a permanent place in your spirit and in your soul and he is never going to leave you, that the spirit of God now dwells in you and the presence of God himself is in you by faith in Jesus Christ. Not based on your, based on your worthiness, but based upon his promise. That's good news, isn't it? That's his good news. You know, this word anointed is used a couple different ways in the Old Testament. One is when they would go to consecrate a priest for service in the temple. It says they would anoint him. In fact, in Exodus 29, it says, uh, take the oil, uh, anointing oil and anoint him by pouring it on his head. And they would anoint the priest. That's one way it was used. It was also used when the Spirit of God would, would, would come upon someone for a season, when the Spirit of God in his presence would dwell upon a person. So, uh, for instance, with David in 1 Samuel chapter 16, it says, So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him, David, in the presence of his brothers. And from that day, the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. So if you take these verses from Old Testament and New Testament and you lay them as a foundation to understand what is John trying to say when he says we are all anointed with the Spirit of God, it is this. 
He's describing the presence of God's spirit in the life of a believer who is there to cause them to be holy and useful to God. That's what he's saying. That the spirit of God, now let's make a personal, the spirit of God, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, if you've crossed that line of faith and received Jesus as the forgiver of your sins and the leader of your life, that the spirit of God lives in you and he dwells in you. The spirit of God is in you to make you holy and useful to God. You know what I'm saying? You are anointed. You are sealed with the ownership of God. You have the spirit of God in you. If you are a follower of Christ, these things are not just true for Paul or the Corinthians or, or the Roman access. You have been anointed. You have been sealed. You have his spirit. You have incredible potential for holiness. You have incredible potential for usefulness. You can live a holy life. You can live a powerful anointed life. You might be thinking, man, I think that's true for Paul or a preacher or a missionary or, or somebody else or the person sitting next to me. I want you to understand what I'm saying is if you're a follower of Christ, I'm talking to you. The Word of God is talking to you. You are sealed. You are, you are anointed. You have the Spirit. The same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you. And I want you to realize when you and I step outside the will of God, even though we're Christ followers, when you, when you and I step outside of the will of God, this is what we're giving up. When you and I get deterred by the sin in our life and we choose it or we get, we get uh, distracted by the, by the things of the world or, or we let our mind get, get filled with doubt or fear or worry and we get out of step with the spirit who lives in us, this is what we're giving up. We're giving up access to the unlimited power of God that can lead us in holiness and usefulness to him. But that's not how we're called to live. If you're a follower of Christ Jesus, you can defeat sin in your life. Even the ones that have beset you time and time again, you can have victory over them. You and I are called as believers and followers of Jesus Christ who have been given the spirit of God, that you and I can have a mind that is said fast and not distracted by the things of this world, that you and I, because of the calling and the sealing in our life, can make an eternal difference in this world for God by his help and his strength and his spirit who dwells in us. That's true of you. That's true of you. That's who he created you to be. That's why he put his spirit in you, that you and I, do you believe that, that way? My question is, do you believe that? Do you really believe that the spirit of God dwells in you? Do you really believe that this thing called anointing is true of you? Do you really believe that God has placed the seal of ownership on you like they would do with a letter and use wax and seal it? God says, this one's mine, mine. And because that is true, you have un unbelievable potential for holiness and usefulness to God. Do you believe that is true about you? If you're a Christ follower, it's true. It's true. I love this verse and how it's worded in the New Living Translations. Romans 8.11 says, The Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. Think about that. The same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead. Is that pretty powerful? 
The same spirit that raised Christ from that. He was dead in the grave on the third day and the spirit of God breathed upon him and that which was dead and and in the tomb rose up and is eternally alive. That same spirit that rose Christ from the dead lives in you, lives in you, in you, in you. That changes everything, doesn't it? That changes everything. That same spirit, man, I don't, I don't know what kind of firepower you think you got. That's all the firepower you'll ever need. The spirit of God that lives in you. So let's talk for the rest of our time. I'm assuming you believe that now. I'm assuming you believe that that's true of you. So how does the spirit want to help you? Let's look at four ways. The spirit, first of all, helps us to distinguish lies from truth. Helps us distinguish one and you know the truth. Guess who helps us understand truth? It's the spirit of the living God. Jesus promised that to the apostles in John 14 and John 16. He said, you're going to know the truth because the spirit I put in you and the same is, thing that is true for us as well. He says, you have the spirit, therefore you can understand and determine what is true. You ever had this feeling in your gut, something you were watching or something that you're hearing or something that you're taking in wasn't quite right? You're like, I don't know about that. You just can't maybe even put your finger on why you think that is just it can't be right. That's not true. And, and it's the spirit of the, God, of the living God who lives in you. And he's saying, listen, it's a check in your spirit to say, this isn't right. You need to reject it and turn the other way. Now, I would say the best way to know truth is to know God's word and, and to lay everything across the, the grid of God's word. And if it says it's true, it's true. And if it's not true, it's not true. But there's sometimes we run across circumstances, either we don't know God's word like we need to or, or it's not clearly defined in God's word. And we need the spirit of God to discern what is true and what is a lie. I'll take you all the way back when I was in college. I was, I was at the gym working out on campus and and a guy came up to me, and he started sharing his faith with me. And I thought, that's pretty cool, you know. I mean, I should be doing that. I was a new believer, and I was pretty impressed at first. But then he started telling me that you had to be baptized in water to be a follower of Jesus Christ. That's not, that doesn't sound right. That doesn't sound right. And then he was saying, no, you have to be baptized in water in our church to go to heaven and be a follower of Jesus Christ. And I'm like, that really doesn't sound right. I, but listen, this guy knew the scriptures, and he could, he could kind of distort them and change them and make them say what he wanted them to say, and he was throwing verses at me. And at that time, I didn't know hardly any verses. I didn't know what to say in response to that. And I'm just sitting my, and he's telling me these things, and, and I'm just going, that doesn't sound right. I just don't believe that. I just can't buy that. And let me tell you, he whooped me good. I mean, he used the word to whoop me good. And I was like, I need to learn the scriptures way. I need to be able to defend what I believe against something like that. And he finally realized I'd had enough. <laughs> and he let me be. And I was like, thank God the spirit was in me to guide me in truth. I said, another guy who's been working out, he was listening the whole time. He comes up, hey, man, I just want you to know I believe what you believe. I said, well, where were you that whole time? I was getting my tail kicked, man. You should have helped me. It's ridiculous. <laughs> a little late, man. I'm just... Anyway, the Spirit of God wants to lead you into all truth. And that's really important to understand because Satan's native language is lies. 
He's called the father of lies. In fact, all he does is lie. He's never going to stop lying. He's trying to lie to you today. And I can tell you how he's trying to lie to you today. He's going to lie to you about who God is, about who you are, and about your current situation and how you should interpret it. The reason I know that's what he does is because that's what he did in Genesis chapter 3 with Adam and Eve. He says, you got a wrong understanding about God and about yourself and the situation that you're in. He's going to lie, lie, lie. That's what he's been doing. That's what he's going to keep doing. You know what you do? You don't listen to it. You don't have to argue with them. You just stand on the what you know to be true. What based on what the or just stand on the truth of God is saying in your spirit that's just confirmed by his word that you and I are to stand on the truth. And there's every single lie that this world and this culture and that Satan throws at us, there is a corresponding promise and truth of God to counteract every single lie. And we are people that learn to stand on what is true. We know his word. We listen to his spirit so we can distinguish lies from truth. Now, one of the reasons he brought this up in this letter is because if you remember in, in week one, there were false teachers in this, this group of churches that were teaching things that weren't true. And so he, he warns uh, he warns the believers here about false teachers or false prophets that had infiltrated the church. In fact, listen to what he says in chapter 4. He says, They, these false prophets, are from the world and therefore speak from the viewpoint of the world and the world listens to them. We are from God and whoever knows God listens to us, but whoever is not from God does not listen to us. This is how we recognize the spirit of truth and the spirit of falsehood. He's saying, listen, if you remember from week one, these people that were teaching untrue things, they had bought into this notion that Jesus had not really ever come in the flesh, that he had just come in the spirit. And there was this dichotomy, the separation between that which was material and that what was immaterial. And their teachings even went so far as to say, as long as your immaterial part of you, the spirit of you is good and clean, you can do whatever kind of carnal, worldly, evil, wicked, selfish things with your own body and indulge in whatever you want to indulge in in the flesh because your spirit is still clean in Christ. You think that was a popular notion in that day? Oh, man, some people love that idea. I can live like, you know what, from Monday to Saturday and then I can show up church on Sunday and I can have it all washed away and I can keep living my life the way I live in it. Yes, probably popular today, wouldn't you say? And so a group of them within the church began to teach those things. They got a following and they left the church teaching that which isn't true. Can I tell you something? Just because something is popular, even spiritually, doesn't mean it's true. Just because it's a bestseller doesn't mean it's true. Just because they got a TV show, a radio program, doesn't mean it's true. Even spiritually, even in the realm of, of Christianity, you and I have to be discerning with the Spirit and the Word of God to know if something is spiritually true. There are lies circulating in the Christian world with Jesus stamped on it, and it has as many lies as it does truth. And you need to be careful, and you need to listen to the Spirit of God and the Word of God to make sure it is true. 
I've got sort of a, a laundry list of things I evaluate. This isn't comprehensive. But, but if something lowers Christ, if something lowers Christ or his word, it br- tries to bring down their importance or the significance of, of Jesus and who he is and what he did, it is a lie. If it's bringing down the validity of this book, the Holy Scriptures that God has proverbed and says it's less than anything but true, it is a lie. If it elevates humanity to the place where man is the hero or man is part of the solution and it's a humanistic philosophy that's infiltrated Christianity, it is not true. If it makes allowance for a self-absorbed faith where you are at the center and everything else revolves around you, it is a lie and not the truth. If it downplays the cross and the resurrection of Jesus Christ as anything other than our soul means to have a relationship with God, it is a lie and not the truth. Now, I'm not saying that everything that's popular isn't true. I'm not saying that either. Look at the ministry of John the Baptist. He's the forerunner to Jesus. And we see crowds from Judea and all over the region gathering around John. And they were hungry to hear what God had to say. And John was God's instrument for that day. And it was immensely popular laying the foundation for Jesus to come and share the good news and die for our sins. There was a huge sweeping revival called the Great Awakening starting in 1729 in a New Jersey churches in the Dutch Reformed uh, of faith uh, vein. And, and it spread all through the Northeast and even beyond that. And, and, and people's lives were radically changed by God. And they, and they confessed their sin and they got holy before God. And, and God used them in a powerful way. And many, many lives, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of people came to faith in Jesus through a sweeping move of God called the Great Awakening. And then at the end of that century, the second great awakening, first, the first great awakening had preachers like Jonathan Edwards and George Whitfield got used in a powerful way. It was popular, and it was the hand of God working. Second great awakening, literally a fire caught in the churches, and, and people cared about personal holiness, and they loved God's word, and they devoted themselves to him, and literally the church was, was so pure. And it spread like wildfire. It's called the Second Great Awakening. See, sometimes God does move in a supernatural, powerful way. And it's absolutely the hand of God doing only what he can do. But listen, popularity is not the litmus test for whether it's true or not true. You got it? It's not the litmus test. You and I need the Spirit of God and the Word of God to discern what is really true. The second way the Spirit wants to help you and I on a daily basis is the Spirit makes it possible for you and I to have victory over sin. It's the Spirit of God that causes us to have victory. See, before you and I were saved, the Scripture says we were slaves to sin and we were dead in our transgressions and sin and we were powerless to do anything against it. And then Jesus Christ, the moment you put your faith in him, he steps into your life and he makes it possible for you to say no to temptation and sin in your life. If the analogy is this, if sin is rain coming down on you, before Christ, you and I had no covering. We were out in the open. We're standing in the street and being drenched by sin. And whether it was a downpour or a sprinkle, you're soaked. You're standing there miserable and and soggy 
and, and, and out exposed to sin. Then Christ entered your life and as if God handed you an umbrella. He says, I got help for you. You can't cover yourself, but I can cover you. Anybody superstitious? I'm a little stitious. God says, I've got a covering for you. I've got a way to protect you from the storm of rain in your life. You don't have to be soaked anymore, that you can be protected by my spirit, that you can have victory over sin that you could never have on your own. I can give you through the presence of the spirit in you. Let's read about it. It says this. Dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray. The one who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous. The one who does what is sinful is of the devil, because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. No one who is born of God will continue to sin, because God's seed, that's the Spirit of God, remains in them. They cannot go on sinning because they have been born of God. You know what he's not saying? He's not saying by your own work and self-righteousness that you labor and, and, and try to live a righteous life and by you living a righteous life that God would declare you righteous. He's not saying that. He says the righteousness that Jesus Christ paid for you on a cross can be given to you by faith and that righteousness that is given to you by faith will change who you are because you have a new changed nature. And now instead of standing out in the pouring rain, being soaked by sin and powerless to do anything against it, I give you my spirit as the one who can protect you from sin and deliver you from the temptations that, that come raining down on you. That you and I, when rain and wanting to be soaked and, and being miserable in your life, he says, listen, you can, you can have something better than that. And he, and he gives you the desire to want to be under the covering and protection of God's mighty And you no longer want to be out there. You want to be in here. And you no longer want to live for those things. You want to live for these things. You no longer want to dwell in the misery that your life used to be. You know what it tastes like to be living in victory in Jesus, and you long for it. That's the spirit of living God who dwells in you that longs for you to live right here. Do we still get wet sometimes, though? We do, don't we? We forget how good it is in here. And we start thinking, man, it was good out there, wasn't it? No. But wasn't it? Maybe. And so we do one of these, you know? We're like, oh, yeah, it's terrible out there. I hate it out there. Or sometimes we just, man, you get so snowed and so deceived and the liar is so good at what he does. He says, man, just put your umbrella down and just soak it all in again. It'll be so good out here. And it doesn't take long out here. If the Spirit of God lives in you, you go, I hate it out here. It's miserable out here. I, I don't like it out here. This is where God designed. He made me a new creation. I am born again to live here under God's umbrella, his protection and, 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 and victory over sin. This is where I belong. This is who God made me. This is what it's like when the Spirit of God has free reign to lead me and deliver me from sin. That's what the Spirit wants to do in our lives. Heather, you don't have to freak out anymore. I'm closing it. Okay, we good? <laughs> 
She's like, don't open that. So the Spirit of God lives in us to give us victory over sin. Thirdly, the Spirit gives us discernment to distinguish the types of spirits. Listen to what he says here. He says, dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. This is how you can recognize the Spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God, but every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which has been, you heard has been coming and is now already even in the world. You know what he's saying? Not everything that's supernatural, not every phenomenon, not everything that can't be explained is from God. There's different types of spirits. And the spirit of God who lives in us helps us to decide and determine, is this spirit of, of God or is this spirit not of God? Is this supernatural thing of God or, or not of God? Can I tell you, there really is a Satan and there really is witchcraft and there really are demons and there really are evil spirits in this world. And he's saying, listen, you got to be careful. Don't be quick to rush after everything that is supernatural. It could be evil. You might think it's God, but it's evil. Scripture says Satan masquerades as, a, as an angel of light. He's going to try to trick you and tell you it's something good when it's something bad. So be careful and let the Spirit discern in you if it's of God. And listen, we don't go after that. We don't go looking for conflict with evil spirits. We're not to do that. But when they rear their ugly head, we need to be prepared. In fact, the litmus test you and I need to do is, is how does a spirit res respond to Jesus? If the spirit reacts favorably to Jesus, that's a good thing. But if it re reacts negatively, it's a bad thing. I'll give you a real example. Um, many years ago, I was doing premarital counseling with a couple. I had never met them before, and I was getting to know them, and I realized that they had gotten involved in, in white witchcraft and the occult and other really ugly things that were not of God. They were of a different spirit. And as I talked to them, I realized there was, there was some real demonic influence happening in their life. In fact, I asked him at one point, I said, are you a Christian? And he said, yes, I am. And I said, Okay, I said, can you tell me that Jesus Christ is Lord? There's another passage that says that any spirit that says Christ is the Lord is of God. And I said, can you tell me that Jesus Christ is Lord? And he said, and he couldn't say it. He physically couldn't say it. I said, we got problems here. And I don't believe in fighting fair. And so I got a bunch of our elders and a bunch of our prayer warriors. And I said, you come to church Sunday. And this couple came to church Sunday. And after church, we went in the back room. And it felt like 10 minutes, but it was probably two hours. We prayed and prayed and prayed over this young man and laid hands on him and asked God to deliver him from evil. And God released him from the demonic influence in his life. Yeah. Praise God. Praise God. You can praise God for that. I tell you that not to freak you. I tell you that to tell you. I've seen enough of the spiritual realm to yes. tell you it's real. Yes. It's real. Yes. And you and I are to be discerning, careful, to not mess with what we don't know to be right or wrong, good or evil. The last point I want to make, the spirit, when we do face spiritual enemies like that, when we do face evil like that, the Spirit gives us power over our spiritual enemies. So we don't have to live in fear of Satan. We don't have to live in fear of temptation. We don't have to live in fear of evil. 
1 John 4, 4 says, You, dear children, are of God or from God and have overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. The one who is in you is the Spirit of God, and the Spirit of God who lives in you is greater than the enemy, the spiritual enemy, the spirit, the forces of darkness. He's greater. And I love the word overcome. I love this verse anyway. I looked up the, the original language. The word overcome in the Greek is in the perfect tense, meaning it's a, it's a previous completed action that has consequences today. You know what he's saying? You and I overcome the evil one because Jesus Christ has already overcome him. And his death and resurrection sealed Satan's fate, and he has lost, and he has destroyed Satan's work. And because the battle's already won. It's already been fought. Jesus already conquered the enemy. The grave has already been destroyed. Sin has already been overturned. Evil has already met its doom. Jesus has won, and you and I, as followers of Christ, with his seed in us and his seal on us and his spirit in us and his anointing in us, you and I also get to live in his victory. That is who you are. Listen, if, a, if you're a follower of Christ, there's really one application today and that you and I would practice the leadership of the Holy Spirit in our life, that we would learn how to not get up and decide what I'm going to decide for myself today and I'm going to make my decisions or I'm going to follow my heart or I'm going to do what I want to do, that I am a person who is yielded intentionally to the Spirit of God. If he lives in me, then I give him free reign to lead my life and make decisions for me and that what he says goes, not what I want, God, but what you want that we would practice the leadership of the Holy Spirit. We'd ask for it, and we would look for it, and we would long to say instead, when the Spirit says go, we go, and when he says stop, we stop. When he says love your neighbor, love your enemy, we do. When we serve someone else, he says do that, we do it because we are following the leadership of the Spirit in our life. And, it, and it's as simple as asking for it each day and maybe multiple times a day. Say, God, I've realized, man, I, I'm trying to take control again. I'm trying to do it my way. I'm trying, to, I'm trying to do things. I'm trying to make things happen. I'm trying to force my will into this. God, not my will, but yours be done. That is practice. Not where you are. If you're not a Christ follower, I have one more verse for you, and it says this. This is how we know that we live in him and he in us. He has given us of his spirit. You know what he's saying? You want evidence that God is in your life, that you have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, then the Spirit will dwell in you. That also means if you've never made that decision, if you cross that line of faith, that the Spirit of God does not live in you and all these promises and all these helps that he has is not true of you. And we talk all the time about the eternal benefits of knowing Christ and that before it's too late that we would, we would come to faith in Jesus that we might not face condemnation one day and that's critically important. But listen, the, the reality is that if you and I, if there's someone here that doesn't know Christ, the reality is, is today you need him. Today you need him to not follow lies but truth. Today you need him that you would not be, be soaking in the rain of sin and temptation and letting it destroy your life or following something evil. Today he's asking you to turn to me that I might heal your sin, 
forgive you and my spirit would come abide in you and live in you. You know me in a personal way. Let's pray. So Father, that's where we're going to start in prayer. That there, if there's one person in this room that has never made that decision to open their life up, to come out of the rain and say, God, where I'm taking myself is ruining me and my sin is overwhelming me and the path that I'm on is broken. And today they're ready to turn to you, Jesus, as the solution. Sealed in your spirit, adopt them into your family, give them a home in heaven. God, you want to do all that and more to the one who would say, I no longer want to follow the way of this world or myself. Today, I choose to follow Jesus. If that's you today, if you'll simply pray with me, just talk to God and say, God, I'm turning from the rain. I'm tired of being soaked. I'm going to turn to Jesus. I want to come under your umbrella of grace and forgiveness and protection. And I ask you to forgive me of my sins. I believe Jesus paid for them all on the cross. I believe he rose from the dead, victorious over them all. And I ask for your spirit to now lead me. I thank you that he's now with me. And if that's your prayer, we rejoice with you. And God, for all the Christ followers in this room, if we've found ourselves out in the rain and we're not walking in step with the Spirit, you don't want to berate us. You don't want to condemn us. You're calling us back under your umbrella. That's where you find yourself today. If you'll just say, God, I've wandered out, but I want to come back. And I ask for you to forgive me of my sins and continue to lead my life, that your spirit would have leadership over me. I want to know you in an intimate way. I want to know your power that's available. I am anointed. I am sealed. I have your spirit in me. That's who I am. And I'm going to live out that identity today by the power of your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.